Maybe a good place to start tonight is to imagine, or at least try to imagine, uh, that you had never heard of Jesus. Uh, When you hear the word, the name Jesus, it immediately means something to you. And that's because you have grown up in a culture that has been significantly shaped by the Bible, uh, or maybe, probably for many of you, Uh, because you have been going to church for many years. Uh, Maybe you started out already in grade school, uh, going to Sunday school and learning about Jesus. This gives me the opportunity to uh, tell the old joke about the the preacher talking to children and describing a squirrel. Um, It has fur, it, it, it collects acorns, it has a bushy tail. What is it? asks the preacher. Um, one child pipes up and says, well, it, it sure sounds like a squirrel, but otherwise I know the answer has to be Jesus. Maybe you've heard that one before and probably somebody else told it better than I did. <laughs> Sunday school is all about Jesus as well it should be because uh, Sunday school is uh, about teaching the Bible. And uh, the Bible is uh, finally about Jesus really, from beginning to end. So when you hear the name Jesus, you are likely to have all kinds of ideas about what or or who is being talked about. But let me suggest tonight that to be a believer in Christ, uh, to have a saving faith in Jesus, is about loving Jesus. Uh, And in order to love Jesus, you really must have a desire to know him better. Uh, And the only way to do that without making up a a Jesus uh, in your own mind, which isn't really a matter of loving Jesus, uh, the way to love the Lord is to know him better and to make the effort to know him better. Well, that's what we're doing this summer and probably into the fall. Um, in the Gospel of Mark. The the most basic question for us uh, is to ask, as we hear God's word, uh, is is not, what do I have to do, but rather, who is Jesus? What we do in response to knowing Jesus is certainly important, but our response will not be what it should be, except by first knowing Jesus as our Savior knowing who he is and what he has done for us. And that's the key difference. Uh, some will read the Gospel of Mark and, and only come away saying, okay, here's, here's a teacher that I, that I should listen to, uh, so here's a good example for me to follow. But Jesus is much more than a good example for us to follow. He is a good example uh, for us to follow. But he is more than that. Uh, He is the one who has come with both the power and the authority to save us by the forgiveness of our sins. And so as a first point, looking at Mark 2, 1 through 12, uh, the first point is a preaching ministry. This is a point that we began last time and and continue this time because Mark continues it. Um, In fact, in 
it was such a, a prominent point last time uh, that we might wonder, well, why does it need to be continued as, as a first point uh, this time around? Well, last time we saw Jesus heal Peter's mother-in-law uh, with the result that she uh, was healed, but, but that many more came also to be healed. But in verse 35, it says that rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. So the first clarification is to see that Jesus did not come only to heal the people in one small town, in one small region of the whole wide world. Instead, he had come to pray. Well, yes, to pray because he was a man, a human being like you and me. And he was living in relationship as a man to his heavenly Father. So, yes, he had come to pray, even as you and I are are called to pray. But the further explanation for why Jesus departed and went out to a a desolate place was that he had come to preach. When the disciples found him, his his explanation and, and teaching to them was this, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. It can hardly be more clear, can it not? Here Jesus is, in a sense, giving us his mission statement, as we say in our own day. He had come to preach. I might pause here to ask, um, what is your mission statement in life? It's a good question to ask ourselves because uh, we tend to, to charge or sometimes just drift through life without really thinking about why we are here. Some people charge through life, others drift through life, but either way we tend to live circumstantially rather than deliberately on purpose. This thing happens to us, then the next thing happens to us, then the things after that happen to us. And, and, and yes, we have choices to, to make along the way and desires arise within us that determine our, our path in life. But otherwise, what are, what are the forces that determine our life? Most basically, uh, uh, human desires and, and culture. Uh, to start with, we enjoy life, food and drink. Uh, at the most basic level, for men, perhaps it's the desire for sexual pleasure, uh, so that is pursued. For women, uh, the desire is perhaps for having children, so that's the trajectory of life uh, toward marriage, hopefully marriage first and then children. Uh, all of this is, is so much set for us. It's, it's the force of basic human desire and, and the culture uh, that surrounds and drives us. But the call of Christ is to act, to plan, and make decisions above and beyond our, our basic human desires and the culture around us. Remember how Jesus said to one man, Let the dead bury their own dead. You follow me. 
There is a there is a deadness. As good as life can be, there is yet a deadness to the force of basic human desire and the culture around us. Not that it's bad in itself, since life, food and drink, sexuality and procreation are all the uh, are all part of the original good creation of God. You cannot deny that. If so, if you want to be a lawyer or a school teacher or a plumber when you grow up, well, good for you. Do that. Uh, let that be the thing you pursue. But, but you are still going to end up dead at the end of your life. The grave still awaits you. A good life may or may not be in front of you. Uh, you will have to wait and, and live it out to find out for sure. But is that all there is? Now, someone might say, well, that's rather pessimistic, is it not? But this is, what, this is what Jesus was faced with, too. He had come, even as God, walking in the midst of his people in their own flesh. And so he was a man of compassion, because God is a God of compassion. He was a man of power, given that he was God in the flesh. And so, by his divine compassion and power, he was willing to heal and to cast out demons. And why not make that his, his mission in life? To heal the sick and, and cast out demons, to, to, make an immediate, or, or, or to become an immediate blessing to others around him. Even more, why, why not play the part in life of, of being successful? We see Jesus being very successful here. And the disciples even said to him, everyone is looking for you. You're, you're doing quite well, Jesus. You are popular, Jesus. And they couldn't believe that Jesus had gone off to pray when he might have stayed and gained more followers and, and more fame. So why not be famous? Uh, why not more popularity? Why not enjoy uh, the success, more of the success that he had already known, well, because that's not why he had come. And I think it's worth noting that the response of Jesus to his disciples was not, well, I, I may be popular here, but I, I want to be popular in the next town and in the next town after that. I, I, I want to be successful and popular everywhere. Instead, he gave this very important instruction, and this is, this is huge, as we say. He said, let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I have come. As glorious as the miracles of Jesus were, and we are certainly expected to see and recognize the glory of Jesus healing the sick, casting out demons. But, but as glorious as the miracles of Jesus were, yet the further purpose of Jesus was to preach the word of God. Mark makes this clear, so let it be clear to us that the miracles of Jesus were important. But they were important only insofar as as they supported his preaching ministry. Here is the problem in our own day. When, uh, 
when some preacher somewhere switches from preaching the word to supposedly doing miracles. Uh, Even if the miracles are really happening, the question remains, are they being done to support the preaching of God's word? Because the preaching of God's word is what Jesus came to do. And the preaching of God's word is what the church is called to do. And the preaching of God's word is the thing that will bring any real, lasting, even eternal change into the lives of sinners. Get healed if you can. Get your marriage fixed if if that might happen. These are not unimportant things. But these are things secondary. Possibly even tertiary. That means third. Uh, compared to the eternal needs of sinners like you and me. And someone might say, how, how dare you? How, how dare you say that my sickness, my cancer, my paralysis, my diabetes, my, you know, my, my, my concerns are secondary? How dare you say that, that my bad marriage, my poor financial situation, my foolish children, that these things are secondary? But that's the message of God's Word. And we see it in the ministry of Jesus that that He might have stayed and and won more praise and gained a, a greater following, but instead that He went on to preach the Word of God. And ultimately, of course, to go to the cross where He would do what His Father had sent Him to do, According to the word of God, he was he was willing to heal where he would do. uh, He was willing to heal, um, uh, but he was going to the cross where he would would do what his father had sent him to do. He knew that those whom he healed think about this. He knew that those whom he healed were still bound for the grave. In a sense, big deal to be healed, to suffer some less in this life if tomorrow you die by any number of other causes. I struggle with a a metaphor here, but maybe this one will work. Uh, Imagine uh, that you are a prisoner, but that your captor is a clever one who, uh, who works not just to keep you confined, but to convince you that the best good you can expect, the greatest deliverance you can possibly look for, is to be moved from the underground dungeon to the above-ground prison. And it's nearly impossible, I would imagine, for us to... Uh, uh, to imagine for ourselves, but, but suppose that over time you... You just start to think that way. As a prisoner, the best you can hope for is to make progress within your imprisonment. But what you forget is that you're still going to die. After years of imprisonment above or below ground, your body will be tossed into a a mass grave. Well, this is where the unbeliever is. Maybe hoping for a better job, a better marriage, a better this or a better that. Big deal. If you get it, good for you. 
If your cancer is healed, you can wear the ribbon that says, I survived cancer. And you'll even uh, become an inspiration to your fellow prisoners who are only looking to live on as slaves to sin and yet bound for death and for hell. We need the Jesus whom Mark reports and proclaims to us in Mark 2. And, he, and, he, and when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was home, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. He didn't quit doing miracles, and the miracles are very important for us to see, but Jesus did not lose focus. He was preaching the word to them. So next comes the intersection, we might say, between the miracles of Jesus and the, and the preaching of Jesus. I, I think it's easy to, to wonder and to ask, uh, what was Jesus preaching? Uh, we heard it in the last chapter, the, the first chapter of Mark, that Jesus came preaching. Yes, also healing, but primarily preaching, and that's what we shouldn't miss. In Mark 1.14, it says that Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so we might ask, well, what was Jesus preaching? What did his sermon sound like? Well, we have a couple of sermons, of course, recorded for us, uh, including the Sermon on the Mount, uh, as, it, as it's come to be called, uh, Matthew 5 through 7. We also have the extended passage of John uh, 13 through 16, which uh, records for us uh, the teaching of Jesus that I think we could call a sermon. But otherwise, when it says that Jesus came proclaiming the gospel of God, and, and, and when, it says, uh, when he says, repent and believe in the gospel, uh, what was Jesus preaching? We can only answer that he was preaching the Hebrew Scriptures. He was, he was preaching our Old Testament. He was preaching what the scriptures teach about the sin of God's people and, uh, and about himself as, as God's own answer to the sin of his people. Granted, Jesus was not preaching to exposit John 3.16, for God so loved the world, but he was preaching that exact message from the Hebrew scriptures. But then we get the connection between the miracles and the preaching of Jesus, because even as he was preaching, yet they were still bringing the sick to him. On one hand, we certainly can't blame them. Starting in verse 3, we hear that they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Here was a man who was paralyzed, so that uh, the only way they could, could get him to Jesus was or the only way he could get to Jesus was by the help of his friends. And, and here is a, a wonderful metaphor, is it not, uh, uh, by way of application in our own day. So often we say, well, who am I to witness to my neighbors? Uh, how can I hope to bring someone to Jesus? Well, well, guess what? Maybe it's not your full 
responsibility to bring someone to Jesus. Maybe you really ought to be working with others to bring a particular person to Jesus. Maybe we feel so inadequate to bring someone to Jesus because it's actually true that we are inadequate to bring someone to Jesus. Maybe we would rather wallow in our weakness and inability to bring someone to Jesus rather than go and get some others who might partner with us to bring someone to Jesus. But what we are told is that it took four men. Maybe he was a little heavy. I don't know. It took four men to bring one man to Jesus. And, uh, and we also see their persistence in bringing this man to Jesus. When the crowd was so great that, um, and, and they refused to stand in line, so to speak, then they took him on the roof and they dug through the roof and they opened a way for this man to be set before Jesus. They knew that the challenge did not belong to Jesus. They, they knew that Jesus could heal. They had seen it happen surely many, many times already. Uh, they knew that Jesus uh, could heal uh, in a moment's time and, and by a single word. All they needed to do was to get Jesus to focus his attention on this invalid man and to speak the word of authority and command. But here is where we hear Mark turning our thought and understanding to something beyond the immediate physical needs felt within this world. Verse 5 records that when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now the debate continues as to uh, how Jesus might have uh, forgiven the man himself of his sins on the basis, it would seem, on his on the basis of his friend's faith. It says, Now when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. It's a hard thing to reconcile, but it is more likely the case that that trying to reconcile the case only serves to miss the point. The point is certainly not that a person can be saved by another's faith, even Uh, a number of other people's faith. The point instead is that Jesus recognized their persistence. He saw how much they believed in him. And the further point is that this is why Jesus had come. Yes, to do miracles, but furthermore to pray and to preach, but all of it ultimately for the forgiveness of sins. And so third and last is the authority to forgive sins. We need to take notice of the very striking fact that here was a paralyzed man. His friends had taken great pains to get this man before Jesus because he was paralyzed. And they had every expectation that Jesus could and and would do for him what he had already done for so many. And what a story it, it would have made if Jesus had simply said, rise and take up your bed and walk. 
And that is what Jesus eventually said and did for the paralyzed man. But before that, strikingly, Jesus said to a a paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. And we can imagine what the reaction of the paralyzed man might have been. Maybe even more the reaction of his four friends that had worked so hard to bring him to Jesus. My sins are forgiven? The man might have thought to himself, He is forgiving our friend's sins? That's not why we brought him to you, Jesus. We want you to heal him. He needs to be able to walk again. What is this about the forgiveness of sins? But again, that's why Jesus had come. Here we have another revelation as to why Jesus had come. First, he left one town, even though the people were thronging to him. And he did so first to pray, but further to go on to uh, other towns where he might preach there as well. Second now, we hear Jesus saying to a paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven. The crowds might have thought, uh, maybe we were wrong about this man. We we thought he was so compassionate. Only now to hear him accuse a, a paralyzed man of being a sinner who needs to be forgiven of his sins. Of course, we have the benefit of the rest of the story, the full Gospel of Mark. We know that Jesus would go on to do something even more compassionate than healing the sick, even healing a paralyzed man. He, he had come to pray. He had come to preach God's word. And finally, he had come to do God's word by going to the cross for the paralyzed man and for you and for me. So what are you praying for? What do you desire to receive from Jesus? Your needs are not insignificant, and your desires, as long as they're godly desires, are are not unimportant to Jesus. But the first thing that you need to receive from Jesus is the forgiveness of your sins. The first thing that you need to hear Jesus say to you is, your sins are forgiven. And don't be offended by Jesus. You can trust him to do for you what you need to be done. And this was his chief concern throughout his ministry. He let go of fame and fortune in order to continue his way to the cross, where he would indeed provide for you and me the forgiveness of our sins. But what about his miracles? Does he not still have the power in our own day to do miracles? Indeed, he does. So by all means, ask him for your miracle. But understand that his miracles had their true purpose only within the greater ministry that he had had come to do. And what was that greater ministry? To provide us, to provide sinners, 
with the, for, with the forgiveness of our sins. Amen. Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus, for coming out for us. Thank you for your miracles to display your divinity and to prove that you have the power and the authority not just to prolong life, but even more to give eternal life. Thank you for not getting led astray from your ministry by the lure of fame and fortune in this short life. Thank you for going to the cross to provide us with forgiveness of our sins. Thank you, Jesus, for your your love and compassion and help us to understand and to love you back. In your name we pray. Amen.